everyone. So welcome back to Mentally Healthy episode six. Today we are going to be talking about tools to deal with anxiety. So I have a very special guest, um, Lottie. So I know Lottie from the studio, which is a yoga studio that I work at. Um, and then during COVID lockdown, she was doing my Zoom classes and we started talking since then and honestly, just love her. Um, so Lottie, feel free to introduce yourself. Hi everyone. So I'm Lottie, I'm a professional psychologist. Um, I currently work in short-term intervention um, and I get referrals from GPs and I help with mild to moderate symptomology, so anxiety, depression, maybe grief and loss. Um, and I help people pretty much with tools and strategies to manage those things. Um, perfect. So today, um, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about tools to deal with anxiety and also give a psychoeducation on anxiety. So just before we move on on the main topic, Lottie, can you please give us a definition of what psychoeducation is? Yeah, so pretty much when we talk about psychoeducation, um, it's more about looking at what is anxiety, what is maybe some of the things that you notice in your body, um, what are some of the thoughts that are going on, and why it's important to apply the strategy. So it's from a, an educational perspective of how is this going to help me. Um, and how do you think that would help people in, you know, dealing with their emotions like why do you think it's so important for psychoeducation to be um i guess delivered to people well we don't know what we don't know so um how do we know we're experiencing something or a degree of something without knowing what that looks like so for example um with anxiety looking at how our body responds to it or you know what are some of the common thoughts and you know, is this a normal level of anxiety or is this something that we need to, um, I suppose, sort out in the long term? Yeah. Um, so moving on to the very first question is what is anxiety? Can you please give us a brief description of what anxiety is? Okay, so anxiety is essentially our body responding to a perceived threat. So if we take a fire, for example, um, we're cooking some popcorn, we're getting ready for a cute movie night, and all of a sudden um, our popcorn catches fire. So it's a bit of a disaster. So let's have a look at um, what our body does in response to it. So it turns on our fight or our flight mode. So we sort of start to ask ourselves, am I going to run away from this fire or am I going to try and attempt to put it out? So either way, we might start feeling that our heart rate is increasing, we might breathe a bit quicker or a little bit shallower, we might feel sweaty or our muscles start to tense. Um, and that's pretty much a really common reaction to what anxiety looks like. So um, that's essentially what our body does. But on the other hand, um, we need to look at what our brain starts telling us. So maybe we start thinking, what if I can't put this fire out? What if it burns my house down? I'm such a failure because I can't even cook popcorn. Why is it? Why is life so hard? Why can't I just do something right? <laughs> so from those thoughts, 
we, we might start feeling ashamed or sad or guilty or angry or disappointed um, in ourselves. So this only, I suppose, gets worse though in the long term because the next time we think about making popcorn um, and we, start about, we think about some of that, that fire that we started, um, it doesn't just stop there. So maybe we get in, invited to our friend's house and there's a possibility that they could ask us to make popcorn. So we start thinking, oh, I'm gonna look like an idiot or I'm gonna fail. So we don't actually end up going to this friend's house and we start to avoid it. So in terms of these symptoms and these thoughts, again, these are all quite common responses, thoughts to um, our version of anxiety. So we all have our version of a fire. So maybe it's a social situation, maybe it's learning how to drive or worrying about being a good enough parent. Um, but as a response to that, sometimes we start to avoid those situations and in the short term, we get anxiety relief. But in the long term, we need to start learning to face those fears um, because if we keep pushing those emotions down, they're still going to be there, but they're probably going to come up 20 times harder because we're not used to putting ourselves in situations where we can test whether anxiety is going to get worse or better. So if we take learning how to ride a bike, we think it's scary at first, but we keep practicing um, and now we do it without thinking and anxiety is kind of like that. You know, we think it's scary to go to that social situation, but we keep practicing it. We keep putting ourselves in that situation and now we just do it without getting those I suppose physical symptoms or those thoughts. Yeah, so just getting yourself conditioned into um, a certain way just so you know that in the long run you will be okay and not every single time you make a popcorn it's going to catch fire. <laughs> maybe it'll happen again one more time or so, but you know, maybe it'll happen two out of ten times, but at least you know that those eight times it didn't happen. Hmm. So you have that knowledge and understanding that, okay, this has happened and this will, this might happen again, but you know that it won't always happen kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And if you, if it does happen again, you've got the tools to manage it when it does. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so what can cause anxiety? So you've um, given us an analogy of, you know, the popcorn and maybe it's something that you weren't, um, necessarily sure on how to deal with it. So is there anything else that would cause anxiety to build up over time? So I suppose this question comes down to the nature versus nurture argument. So part of anxiety can be um, due to genetics. So, you know, if our parents have it, maybe we're more inclined and more susceptible to have it as well. Um, but equally, we learn our sense of security from a young age. So our relationships with our parents and, you know, how we feel about the world um, also can influence our degree of anxiety um, in the present, in a sense. But we also have what we call life catalysts as well, such as injuries or trauma or relationship breakdowns, um, job losses, um, which can also influence our levels of anxiety at a particular point. Yeah. Um, with the, you were saying that it could be genetics. I've actually always wondered about this, but so say a parent has had anxiety or depression and then, um, you know, their kid has anxiety or depression. Is that something that 
can go away with obviously with help, with support, or is it something that they'll always have even with support? Does that make sense? Um, I think we all have a degree of anxiety. Yeah. Um, so anxiety will be there regardless. Um, yeah. But it becomes an issue when um, it starts impacting our life. Um, and I suppose we learn a lot from our parents. So if our parents are getting anxious about what the world looks like, um, we sort of adopt that same almost mental filter. Yeah. So we kind of have to reparent ourselves. Um, and that's what therapy is there for is to help us learn how to maybe see the world in a different light. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I guess we, I, I guess there's that, um, you know, you said we all have a degree of anxiety and I guess there's, you know, the there's a safe, I guess, little bit of anxiety that helps you. Um, like if you saw a tiger and you got anxious, obviously the fight or flight is to run and that helps you. But um, unless you stay, <laughs> yeah. unless you stay, then it won't help you. Um, but yeah, it's like if you see a danger, then you get anxious, then your anxiety kind of tells you to run away, um, then that helps. But I guess it's, if it's too much anxiety where you start to overthink. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, it's like if we applied that to almost like a teddy bear that was like a tiger and we were still getting that level of anxiety in response to something like that, for example, yeah. that would be an issue because a big tiger that's scary, that's, you know, in front of you, that's a warranted anxiety reaction. But yeah. Um, if that's happening with a teddy bear, then there's something going on there. Yeah, yes. Oh, I like that example because that <laughs> is very true. Um, and so why is it important that we recognize and deal with our emotions rather than pushing it aside? So say with that, um, the teddy bear tiger, um, obviously you shouldn't be scared of a teddy bear, but you have these like anxious feeling and you can't even look at this teddy bear um what would happen if we just say oh it's it's just a teddy bear get over it like it's not scary even though you are really scared I think again it comes into our relationships with our thoughts and you know we've got let's say this teddy bear for example and we we keep getting these things of this is super overwhelming, like I can't face this or um, I'm going to get hurt here. Um, Those sorts of thoughts kind of get in the way of living the life that we want to choose. Yeah. Um, And we kind of can make a choice in response to anxiety. We can almost accept that, you know, these thoughts and these feelings are there or we can ignore them and go, you know, I'm just going to push it down. Yeah. Let's, let's avoid it. Let's avoid it. Let's avoid it. But my avoiding it, when it does pop up again, it's going to hit you in the face twice as hard. Yeah. So it's a radical acceptance, what we call it in psychology. Um, kind of accepting that thoughts are there um, and we can deal with them. We can live with them. Um, yeah. But, you know, when we don't, you know, there's a consequence to it. There's sort of short-term um, relief but long-term uh, pain in a sense yeah mm. and I guess you could um, by pushing it aside some people would you know go to like a support system of drinking or drugs which could obviously have a bigger effect at the end of it as well yeah well essentially if we look at emotions 
um, like the weather. So we've got a storm outside um, and in our head we had this plan of going outside and wanting to, I don't know, go to the park for example. Um, so we open the door but we realise it's raining and we can have a choice there. Um, we can go, oh my gosh, the storm's coming, I'm going to get wet, this is, you know, uh, this is completely overwhelming, I don't want to go out in the storm. Yeah. And we shut the door and we hide inside. Or we can go, well, I know there's a storm outside, but I really want to go to the park. So I'm <laughs> going to prepare myself and I'm going to grab an umbrella. I'm going to put my raincoat on. I might put some gloves on. I'm going to protect myself and I'm still going to walk out into the storm. Okay, so if we look at anxiety like that, you know, going to therapy or, you know, learning how to manage anxiety, that, that's, that's our umbrella in a sense. Yeah. And that's helping us walk through it and manage it and deal with it. Whereas if we just ignore it and we push it, we avoid it, you know, we're, we're not going out, we're not going to the park, for example. Yeah, something that you really want to do and now you can't do it because you're in battle of your own, in your own, in your own mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and going from that as well, um, how can long-term anxiety affect you? So say you keep yourself inside and you never really walk out of the storm you never protect yourself from that storm and you just hide away for a long-term period how will that affect you later on down the track in your life well I suppose it comes down to our window of tolerance um Mm. so if we avoid things our window of tolerance reduces um because we are not constantly putting ourselves in a situation where we're testing it. So yeah. let's take a social interaction, for example. People who avoid that um, first stop, you know, going to, you know, parties, for example, because it's really overwhelming to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but then that then filters into I can't go to my doctor's appointment because I've got to interact with the receptionist or the doctor. And then that then filters into oh, maybe I can't even go and have a conversation or go into a cafe with my mum. Yeah. So we keep, I suppose, avoiding, 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 and our window of tolerance gets smaller and smaller and smaller, um, and then we get to a point where we've almost living a life that's ruled by anxiety. Yeah. Um, was ambulance? I don't know. The podcast? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, I was going to ask you a questions in regard to, oh, actually, so, um, obviously there are two types or there's many types of people in the world, but the two I'm specifically thinking of is the one who would let their anxiety drive them, um, where, you know, say they really want to go out and eat at a cafe but they can't because they have to interact with people and so then they stop themselves from doing something that they really want to do um and they feel really I guess small as a person and then there's the other type of people where they would almost like be angry or they feel bigger or they're ego driven is that something that um can be driven by anxiety as well so yeah, yeah, well, anger as an emotion is an umbrella. So, yeah. you know, people 
feel angry first, but sometimes that's only on the surface level. That's the top of the iceberg. Um, yeah. Below the surface of the water and the iceberg is a lot bigger. Well, what is the underlying emotion for it? And, you know, what is our coping strategy? It's more of a yeah. question of um, some people, I suppose, have that coping strategy of being a little bit more introverted where other people have that ability to you know even extroversion of sense is a mask of anxiety at times yeah um but also anger is that as well it depends how it's filtered it's yeah an individual thing because there's always um you know if you look up symptoms on dr google um there's there's obviously a dot point of what um like a general diagnosis kind of thing like this is what um I have a I have a lump on my hand what does this say (laughs) you have cancer um so if you go on google and you type in what is anxiety there is obviously a dot point of what um the symptoms or what you know it generally looks like but would you say that it's different for everyone or would it be those like set dot points um No, I think anxiety is very individual and it is a question that I ask my clients when they walk through the door, they they sit down and they go, I've got anxiety. And I was like, okay, cool. But what does, what does that mean? What is, what does anxiety look like to you? Yeah. And look, some people might have that concept that, you know, it's a more of a feeling based, like I have memory fog and I don't have any thoughts that are running through my mind. I just get super overwhelmed my body shuts down you know my heart rate is going crazy i've got i'm getting sick and i yeah. you know, i've got a headache versus someone who's coming in and going well my anxiety looks like like loads of ruminating thoughts i'm you know feeling like i'm not good enough like i'm worthless um i can't do this and um that negative self-talk so yeah yeah anxiety is very very different different in everyone um so now I want to talk about some different tools that can um, help us, I guess, um, deal with our anxiety. Um, and if you could give us like a little information on why they could help. So give us, you know, the psychoeducation on why they would help so that maybe people are more likely to take them in rather than just, you know, being like, no, that won't help me before even trying it out kind of thing. Um, so what are some tools that you think we could, um, or I guess, you know, (laughs) tools that, you know, can help us with our emotions, um, and why do they help? Okay. So I suppose to answer this question, um, the most important place to start is sort of your basics and your self-care. So A mental checklist that I like to do for myself is, am I sleeping? Am I eating? Have I done any exercise today? Um, Am I managing stress okay? And do I have enough positives in my day? So all of these things help create a really strong baseline for us to manage what the day throws at us. Because if we think about anxiety again like a storm and we're a house when the storm comes and we're feeling good about ourselves and we've got a strong structure we've got a roof on 
our house in a sense. The storm's gonna come through, it's gonna hit us and then it's gonna go away. But if, say, we're not looking after our, our house and, you know, maybe the roof is a bit damaged or, you know, we don't have a door, when that um, storm comes, you know, we're less likely to withstand that, you know, our house is gonna fall down. So that's, I suppose, step one to, you know, helping you manage the anxiety. Um, the second step is to note why we, I suppose, recommend these relaxation strategies because, you know, have you ever heard of, I suppose, a psychologist or a counselor or someone say, you know what, just breathe and, you know, it will help <laughs> you with your anxiety. And do you know what, this is a question that I used to ask myself and I was like, how am I going to like almost sell this to clients? Because it is a really weird concept to be like you just breathe you know and you'll get through it but the reason yeah. why we tell people to do breathing exercises is it helps rewire your brain okay and it helps you know when anxiety comes and that flight or fight mode is sort of triggered it's in the feeling part of our brain and what we want to do is start switching it to the thinking part because we want our brain to think about this fear or this fire very logically before it starts going, well, I need to panic, okay? Because our brain is very good at not giving us time to think about it, but just feeling it. So by breathing and doing those sort of the box method, you know, the four in, the hold for four in, and the four out, um, it's giving your chance, your brain a chance to catch up. Yeah. Okay? So that's one thing that I always recommend to some of my clients, but also progressive muscle relaxation as well. So that is looking at, I suppose, isolating parts of your muscles and learning to relax them. So when a stressful situation occurs, we can be mindful about where the muscle tension is occurring and then we can help it relax. Okay, so this is something, or these things are something to practice on a daily, <laughs> on the daily in a sense, because we don't want to get into a stressful situation and then go, well, now I need to learn how to breathe or yes. now I need to do my progressive muscle relaxation yeah. because these are preventative strategies. These are not reactive strategies. Okay. And that's the thing with anxiety. We need to catch it before it escalates yeah. to a point of crisis. I actually used this um, analogy the other day to someone where, you know, if you get pushed in the water and you don't know how to swim, that's not the time that you want to learn how to swim. Yes. You need to learn how to swim before that point. And then if you get pushed in the water, at least you know how to swim. You know how to get yourself out of the water. But if you don't do the practices beforehand where you learn how to manage that situation, you're just going to you know, paddle in there and you're going to start drowning because you don't know how to deal with it. Mm, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So I suppose that's part of, you know, ways that we can help those um, physical symptoms of anxiety. But the other part is addressing our thoughts and learning to what I call switch the thought. So when we do feel anxious, um, we can start by sort of naming it and going, okay, I'm feeling anxious. You need to recognize that. And then sort of ask yourself what your brain is telling you. So our brain is very good at beating us up and we need to sort of say to ourselves, is this what helping me at the moment? Can I think about the situation in a different way? 
um, what's some of the evidence for my thought? Um, and if a friend asked me the same thought or had the same thought, what would I say in response to it? Because we're sort of creating a bit of distance between anxiety, you know, as a thing versus anxiety being us. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, and it's very easy to beat ourselves up because we tend to be, I don't know if there's, you know, any specific, um, reason for this. Um, but we seem to just be so hard on ourselves. Like if someone were to tell us that they were upset, we wouldn't tell them to, you know, like, are you being silly? Get over it. So why do we say that to ourselves? I mean, unless you're a really mean person, then you'll probably say that to someone. <laughs> like, if you're a nice person and someone tells you that you're ups- um, they're upset, you're not going to tell them that they're being pathetic. You're going to be there for them. You're going to listen to their problems. You're going to try and help them as much as you can. But when it comes down to ourselves and we tell ourselves that, oh, we're really struggling for some reason, it's easier to tell us that you're just, you're being pathetic. Get over it. We're our harshest critics at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, it sort of comes down to the fact that the brain is like a muscle. So yeah. if we think of one side of um, our brain being this negative side and then the other side is the positive side, when we keep telling ourselves that, you know, we should feel bad or, you know, keep beating ourselves up, there's actually strengthening the negative side of our brain. Yeah. Um, and as we know, when something becomes strong, it sort of becomes automatic and habitual. Yeah. So we consciously don't know that we're actually then switching to the negative side of our brain. And yeah. that's essentially what therapy is about, is learning how to strengthen or use the positive side. So it becomes more automatic for your brain to use that instead of being itself the, up. Yeah. Um, what would you say, like, what is your take on, like, meditation, journaling, um, you know, on top of breath work and, you know, practicing positive self-talk as, like, a tool for anxiety? Do you – is that a yay or nay? Or <laughs> uh, I definitely think we need our own personal mantras. Yeah. So, you know what? No one's going to tell you you're good enough. And mm. no one's going to tell you that you need to take a break. No one's going to tell you, look, you need to start scheduling in some time for yourself because um, we don't have that around yeah. us. We have to do it for ourselves. Um, and ways to do that is, A, you know, the gratitude exercises of what am I proud of myself for? Um, what have I done today that, you know, has made someone else's life a little bit easier or happier? Um, definitely meditation is a way to self-reflect because, you know, if we can get personal insight into how we're going, how we're feeling, what we're doing, what we can improve, that's that's the first, I suppose, step towards wanting to change that and wanting to make some more moves or towards moves, Um and be the person that we want to be rather than the person that we're getting caught up in terms of our emotions and anxiety ruled person. Yeah. Um, and in regards to, you know, like you said, no one's going to make you do anything like you can only make that. You can only do those things. Um, and that's true because, you know, like if you're struggling with anxiety, 
and you're relying on other people to support you, then obviously that's not going to help because unless you're making the changes to, you know, support yourself, then, um, then and only then that you're going to actually see some changes with your emotions. Is that correct for yeah. you to say? Yeah. yeah, definitely. Like you need to be willing to be motivated and want to change. Mm. Um, no one can tell you to do that. And yeah. It's so important, I suppose, to have that supportive network around you but at the end of the day, if they're lecturing you every day, all day, about what you need to change and you don't want to do it, well, there's a likelihood that you're probably not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you if you ate crap all day but you want to lose weight and you just <laughs> expect other people to eat good for you, like watching other people eat good, like healthy meals while you eat crap isn't going to make you lose weight kind of yeah. thing. So you have to make the change and you have to um, start eating healthy if you really are, you know, committed into that, I guess, goal yeah. at the end of the day. Um, I have a few questions in regards to, like, seeing a psychologist or a counsellor. Um, I actually have a question, you know, in regards about the differences. So I know a few people are wondering, like, do I see a counsellor? Do I see a psychologist? Like, is that what... What are the difference between those two things? <laughs> okay. Um, I suppose it depends. What What is your end goal? That, that would yeah. be my question to you. Um, you know, they both do the same thing in terms of talk therapy. I suppose psychologists have um, a little bit more of an understanding of like the diagnostic criterias and looking at ways um, to address maybe if you have depression or anxiety, that sort of thing. But remember, that's not the primary focus of what a, psycho- a psychologist does. That's more of what a psychiatrist does in terms yeah. of assessment. Um, yeah, so I guess I would be asking yourself what the end goal is. Yeah, mm. okay. Because it's really hard for me to address that. Yeah, um, but either way, it's like, like if you just needed to, like a therapy kind of thing, you could see both, like either one. Yeah, yeah. and I guess it comes down to like getting a mental health care plan as well. Um, I know before counsellors weren't able to get on the mental health care plan and do the bulk billing, that side of it, which, um, you know, especially if you're financially... Know, struggling at the moment you need every um every bit of coin that you can yeah. get so i don't actually know if they've changed that because there is a lot of restructuring going on in terms yeah. of counseling and psychology but i know that was a big um difference yeah um to start with yeah um and so following on with that the next question i have is what are some advice that you know, that you can give to someone who is scared to see a counsellor who feels like it won't help them or they're just, they don't see, I guess, you know, the point in seeing a counsellor, like, how is this going to help me? Or I don't want to see someone because I feel really, like, vulnerable and I don't want to, like, open up that door of emotions. Okay, so, again, 
I'd be asking the question of what are you getting scared about? Um, because I'd be stabbing in the dark, but you know, again, is it talking to a stranger? Is it feeling scared that you're not gonna like the psychologist? Is it pride? Is it embarrassment? Is it shame? Is it not knowing what to expect? Um, you know, and, and at the end of the, the day, these are super common concerns that people have regarding psychologists. But I suppose, remember psychologists are people too and they have their own problems and they have their own issues and i know it's super scary and confronting telling a stranger your deepest darkest secrets but i suppose keep in mind what your long-term goal is and why you are there and yeah. i think it's really important to show yourself some compassion and you know choosing to go to therapy shows strength and a willingness to take a look at the parts that you don't like about yourself um or the parts that you want to change um, and still persevering with it and going to talk to someone and confronting those things. I'm actually going to get Alba to attach a resource in the link um, and it addresses answers to some of the questions that um, I've mentioned before um, in a lot of detail. um, And I think it would be a good, good thing to read. Yeah. Um, and it's so important to be open-minded when you are going to, you know, um, help yourself through any difficult times, because if you don't want to see a psychologist or if you don't want to, you know, um, do breath work or journal or meditate because, you're so close-minded and you just think that it's that's not going to help me why is you know why is that going to help me um if you're going to be close-minded and you don't want to try it then you're not really going to get anywhere so be open-minded with the stuff that even you don't necessarily believe in if you really want to help yourself Mm. yeah definitely and even if you choose not to I suppose go and see a psychologist or a counsellor because Mm. you do have I suppose this concept that it's not going to work that's okay but maybe ask yourself what is going to work and you know make some moves towards achieving those goals if you know that maybe exercise is going to give you um you know a better outlook on life or you know whatever it may be then do those things yeah and focus your energy on that because, again, it comes down to if you're not ready to go and see something or you don't think that it's going to work or you don't have faith in that, yeah, then I suppose I'd be questioning whether it would be the right decision to do. Yeah. Um, and I said this in the last couple of podcasts that I did, but um, if you don't make any change, then nothing is going to change. Yeah. So you need to make sure that you're keeping yourself accountable in um, making any changes that you need, whether it's to see someone or to change your, um, I guess, habits into a more positive one. Um, what can people expect in a counselling session? So just for those people who are worried or they don't know what to expect, they don't know what a counsellor or a psychologist would be like. So what is... Um, I guess if, if I were to walk into your office right now to see you, to talk to you about my, my life, what would I expect in the first session? Okay, so 
The first session is mainly history taking and a lot of information gathering. It's like a little mini interview and it's, I suppose, going to ask you questions like, what are some of your concerns or what, what's brought you in here today? And how has that impacted your life at the moment? Are you not sleeping? Are you not eating? Um, are you not going to work? Um, how long have these issues been present? Is there certain stresses that have, I suppose, occurred in the last, say, week or two weeks or three weeks um, that are making it worse? And then I might ask some questions and look at some of the coping strategies that you have in place. Like, have you been to therapy before? What has worked for you in the past? What hasn't worked for you? Um, are you maybe using alcohol or, you know, drugs as a bit of a vice? And is that something that you want to work on? And then I'd look at, at the end of the session, creating a bit of a treatment plan with you and, you know, identifying, well, what is the goals? Why are you here? What do you want to change? What do you want to see an improvement on? Um, and then I talk you through a little bit about what sort of strategies that I think that um, would be benefit beneficial for you to put in place. Um, can you cry? <laughs> can you cry in a counselling session? Is it okay for people to cry? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's tissue boxes set up in there, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I remember my first session, I was just like, I'm not going to cry. I was like, nope. And I hate crying in front of people. So I was like, oh my God. It, like it was so overwhelming because I was like, you are not going to cry. Not today. And then as soon as I walked in and she was like, so how can I help you? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but... Um, the more you do see someone, the more comfortable you get, don't you? Yeah, and you know what? Crying is a good sign to me. It means that, you know, you are processing the emotion as we're talking about it because essentially that's what we want to encourage your brain to do is mm. process the things that it's experiencing. Um, yeah, what was the question before? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, what did I say? Oh, the more you see... Oh, yes. The more you go, the more comfortable it gets or the less, the less overwhelming, I guess. Definitely. And um, the relationship that you have with your psychologist mm-hmm. is the most important part of therapy. And, you know, we talk about this concept between psychologists of the 70-30. So 70% is your relationship with your client and 30% is the tools that you actually give them. Because yeah. If you don't have a good relationship with them, if they feel like they can't be comfortable and they can't divulge, I suppose, those secrets, um, are you really helping them at the end of the day? Because they're there to get a space to debrief and to feel secure and to explore, I suppose, those parts of themselves that are really confronting. Yeah. Um, Do people need to, like, prepare anything before they see a counsellor or is it just when you're ready, come in? (laughs) Um, I have a lot of clients who literally roll in with whatever the day or the week's concerns are and they're like, this is what's happened. I want to deal with this part. Yeah. It's very, I suppose, individual sessions, but I also have clients who come in, they like write their, I suppose, thoughts down on a piece of paper and, um, they've got a really specific goal or an intention to deal with at that time. So you know, neither is right or wrong. 
But I suppose one thing that I do want to mention, just going back to your other, I suppose, question about the relationships with your psychologist and, and that sort of thing, I think it's really important to note that you can change your psychologist and I <laughs> would encourage if you are not having a good relationship with your psychologist to change it and I'm very open with my clients about that and I go, if you're not clicking with me, I am not going to get offended. I want you to get the most about these sessions and if yeah. that is you know, being transferred to a male, if that is someone who is older, younger, whatever it may be, mm. you know, this is about you and I don't want to get in the way of that. Yeah. Um, and oh, losing all my questions, I should have written it down. Um, what was I going to say? Let's move, let's move back from that. I, maybe it will come back up to my mind. Um, but can anyone see a counselor or? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyone can see a counselor. I think, um, there's this idea that people only go to counseling because there's something wrong with them or yeah. <laughs> is that but I suppose I want to challenge that idea that therapy is just a way of treating issues and it can also be used as a preventative and a proactive way of helping you deal with life yeah um, and just exploring yourself you know we all get to a point in our life where we feel stuck and you know it's a really great therapy is really great to you know find those towards moves or goals that you want yeah. to work towards um nothing has to be wrong with you there in yeah a sense. um you're just wanting to feel a little bit less stuck or you want to yeah find ways to work on your communication or your procrastination or your perfectionism or your conflict resolution it's yeah um it's really broad and the um the unit that I was taking at uni, which is the counselling skills um training, the tutor actually said that a lot of people, you know, say that, you know, what do counsellors or psychologists do? They just sit there, like what makes them different to another person? But you guys know the questions to ask, <laughs> don't you? You don't just make things up <laughs> along the way. Um so just to clear that up what makes you know a counselor a psychologist different to um a friend or a family member um i suppose it's the way we present possibly some of the questions i mean have you ever had a conversation with your friend and like you're talking about a topic and they'll be like oh yeah i experienced that this is my experience yeah <laughs> or you've maybe talked to mom or dad and then mom and dad like start kind of lecturing you a little bit and i'm like well yeah. i would have done this or you should do this yeah a counselor or a psychologist is a very neutral platform of a way to bounce ideas we ask questions to i suppose get you to self-reflect and almost come up with the solutions to your own problems without mm. us having to say you know maybe you should do this yeah um so that's one thing but also you know looking at the way we do therapy and like cognitive behavioral therapy we teach you to flip the thought or challenge some of those thought processes that are coming on and we can teach you about how to live with an emotion um, and how to manage grief and loss so i suppose yeah again it comes back down to yeah the difference 
in conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, maybe not you because you're obviously, you know what to ask. You're just like, um, but I don't know about anyone else where if someone were to tell me that they were struggling, I would sit there and be like, oh my God, I don't know what to say. Like I will feel like, you know, like I would feel for them and I want to help them. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know what you want me to say. I don't know what I should say. I don't know what to ask. And then half the time I just sit there. <laughs> I just sit there and I'm like, okay. like, And it's almost like an awkward silence. And even though you want to be there for them, you don't know how to be there for them. So, um, you know, with my experience with seeing counsellors and psychologists, they know what to ask. They know how to guide you in finding yourself, I guess. Yeah, it's very much about that validation of your experiences. And um, yeah, I mean, it is really hard for a person who's not trained in a sense or maybe just is a little bit confronted by having those conversations to know what to say to make you feel better. Yeah. Mm. Um, or like you said before where you know if you were talking to a friend and they start giving you advice and um, and I do it too I, and then I every time I notice that I'm like I like stop <laughs> they don't need your advice they don't you, you don't you don't know their life um, but you know friends and family t- tend to do that and it's you know they do it in the best sense they're not meant they're not trying to hurt you they're trying to help in their eyes they're trying yeah. to help um, but you know when people do that to me I do get frustrated because I'm like I just need you to listen to me I just need you to maybe guide me in a sense I don't need you to give me advice and the advice that you give me I don't agree with that (laughs) so um it's good when you see someone who isn't there to push you to be a certain way they're trying to if anything they're trying to help you be your I guess your authentic self trying Mm -hmm. to help you find what works for you yeah um the other question that I had before was um and I was the same and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same was I put off seeing a counselor for a long time because I would always feel like I needed to see someone when I felt really overwhelmed to say I feel really anxious right now then I'll be like oh my god I need to book in with someone I need to go see someone but then the next day I'm like I feel fine. So I'm like, oh, well, no, it's fine. I don't need to see anyone right now. Um, so what are your advice in regards to that? Like, um, because with my experience as well, when you do want to book in with someone, when you feel really overwhelmed, half the time they're not available for another yeah. four weeks. So by the time it gets to the four weeks, you probably feel somewhat okay or you don't have those emotions anymore. So, yeah, what are your... <laughs> It comes down to it, again, that therapy is not necessarily there to be a crisis service. Yes. Um, It's there to be preventative. So when we start feeling a certain way or when we know that there's a number of stresses that could possibly be popping up in the future, I mean, we can't predict it. Sometimes we might know um, that someone's going to pass soon or, you know, uni is getting really hectic and the last time I went through the exams I got these symptoms and I know that exams are coming up so be proactive you know and don't let it get to the point where you are just you know at that crisis point at that escalation point at that 
point where you can't come down because um, then it's too late. You're, yeah. you're sinking in your yeah. analogy of the <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, obviously I realise that now, but a lot of people still say to me, like, oh, but I feel fine now. You know, why, mm. why would I want to see someone if I feel fine? And I guess you don't want to wait until you're sinking yeah. to learn how to swim. <laughs> and I think it's really important to check in with yourselves because, again, emotions are like the weather, they come and go. Um, but it's really important for us to take a step back and go, all right, well, yeah, I'm feeling okay today, but that's only one day out of the seven days this week that I was feeling okay. Yeah. So, what's going on in the other six days and should I really be, you know, just relying on this one day to feel okay? Yeah. Um, so always constantly, you know, check in with yourself and reflect on your days, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so last question is, can you go to a psych um, to learn how to cope with verbal confrontation? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, again, it comes down to if you want to work on that specific topic, we can yeah. look at how can you set boundaries in with those people that are maybe um, being quite confronting. How What is the difference between being aggressive in how you respond versus assertive? Yeah. Um, and how to manage, I suppose, their responses because at the end of the day – you only have 50% of that relationship. You can yeah. control the 50% you react and you respond to somebody, but you can't control what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's about exploring, I suppose, that element of it. Yep. Um, well, that was the last question um, that I have, but just wanted to follow on with um, what you said about how you can't control what people do. Um that's also, you know, another thing that I guess um, that we were talking about, like you need to make the change so you can't change other people but you can change yourself. You can't control the way people react to you but you can control the way you react to them um, and I guess that would come down to, you know, working on yourself, taking time for self-care and using some of the tools Um is that something you agree with? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's the circle of control is definitely <laughs> a big topic that I do have a lot of conversations with clients and I use in my own life. And um, it really is, again, about asking yourself, like, can I control what's happening in this situation? Can I, or can I influence it um, yeah. in some way? And how can I influence it? in maybe a way that's productive or proactive. Yeah. Um, and then sort of trying to distance ourselves from the responses where we can't yeah. control things because we get caught up on what we can't control. We get, you know, what if this, what if that, you know, I'm really angry because this has happened. Um, and that's what impacts our day at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's where we get stuck because um, it's just sort of, balls up and we start worrying about things yeah next thing we know we're inside shutting the door and we're not going out and facing the storm yep um well thank you so much for your time i have 
thoroughly enjoyed um, speaking to you. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to add in regards to this topic? Um, no, I don't think so. You've nailed it pretty well. <laughs> um, I suppose, yeah, I mean, if you want to explore, I suppose, going to see a psychologist and a counsellor again, like, I think it's a really amazing way of finding a little bit about yourself and I can't just say that because I'm a psychologist but, <laughs> I mean um, I'm not a psychologist <laughs> and I agree so <laughs> but why wouldn't you I suppose want to be the best versions of yourselves yeah and a psychologist can definitely give light into what that looks like and help you achieve even the small goals like stop smoking like stop smoking or mm. weight loss all those things um you know, it can be applied in all levels and you might even watch yourself go to therapy for a couple of sessions and apply those strategies into a different, you know, area like your relationship. Yeah. Um, it filters through, our, you know, our brain rewires itself and it starts to affect other areas. Yes. Actually, that is actually one thing I do um, want to ask is you obviously obviously won't see a progress after the first session of seeing a psychologist. So, mm-hmm. um is there a recommended amount of time that you sh- like should continuously see a psychologist or a counsellor or depending Ooh, on the situation? It's very <laughs> dependent on your, I suppose, presenting concerns. So yeah. um, it's really hard. Trauma is probably more long-term counselling, so you're mm. looking at probably maybe 10 sessions plus, yeah. depending on the severity of it. I mean... Most sessions go from six to ten. Yeah. Um, I'm actually in short-term intervention at the moment, so I only have six sessions with clients. And basically, the way that I look at those six sessions is the first one is the information gathering. Session two and three, I do a lot of psychoeducation on what the concern is and also building a relationship because it takes at least three sessions for someone to feel quite comfortable Yeah. With and then the magic really works in session four and five. Um, and then session six is a bit of a summary. And I usually do sort of where we started versus where we are today. Um, and what sort of improvements, you know, the strengths and um, get people to sort of look back. Yeah. Um, and how they can apply those things in the future. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again. Um, Hopefully I can get you in on another podcast one day. But yeah, I hope you've enjoyed having a little chat with me and um, I hope I haven't taken too much of your time. (laughs) Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it.